Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. This is the important link between the Bay of Pigs and the Kennedy assassination and Watergate. And that link is what my father was holding on President Nixon to blackmail him or to pressure him into continuing to pay hush money to my father and my mother, actually, to her personally, who then would distribute it throughout the Cubans, uh, James McCord and his family, Gordon Liddy and his family, and, and our own family. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, Go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. We are going to dial back, at least in part to the Nixon era, back even further to 1961 and the failed invasion of Cuba at the Bay of Pigs, the assassination of JFK in November 63, the attempted break-in at the Watergate Hotel where the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, was headquartered in June of 1972. A number of individuals, their names sort of pop up in connection with all three of those events in some capacity. One of them was E. Howard Hunt. Hunt was uh, an American intelligence officer and a writer. Actually, uh, one of his books was purchased by Warner Brothers in the late 40s and was going to be turned into a movie. But from 49 to 70, 
E. Howard Hunt served as a CIA officer, along with G. Gordon Liddy and others. Hunt was one of the Nixon White House plumbers, a secret team of operatives charged with fixing leaks, real or perceived causes of confidential administration information being leaked outside uh, parties. Hunt and Liddy engineered the Watergate burglaries and other undercover operations for the Nixon administration. In the ensuing Watergate scandal, Hunt was convicted of burglary, conspiracy, and wiretapping, eventually serving 33 months in prison. In 2007, shortly before his death in Miami, Florida, Hunt recorded a number of interviews which became known as his deathbed confession. They were published in Rolling Stone magazine. In that uh, confession, he talked about his role in the JFK assassination and the role of other individuals. He names names. E. Howard Hunt's son is here to drop another bombshell, this one about his late mother. It's all contained in his book, Dorothy, The Murder of E. Howard Hunt's Wife, Watergate's Darkest Secret. St. John Hunt, how are you? Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much. That was a very on, you know, you hit the nail on the head on all, all your points in your introduction. I've never had such a thorough and precise introduction uh, given to me before, but I'm glad to be here on your show. And uh, I just want to say on a, on a personal note that I so much uh, respect and applaud a person such as yourself for the work you do, the tireless work you do in promoting the truth and digging to get at the truth. And, uh, and you, you, you've got a big job and, uh, and, and you're carrying it quite well. So I, for me to you as a person, I thank you very much. Oh, well, I appreciate that. And I, and I thank you for joining us. For those who, I guess, I don't know, I, I always hate to use this term, but it's just, it's one of those terms we use, living under a rock back in 2007. Or for, for whatever reason, we're otherwise occupied and, and weren't aware of your father's uh, deathbed confession. Uh, let's just uh, spend a few moments here setting the table. I've sort of given a thumbnail sketch of your father's career from 1949 onwards. But what he revealed in his his confession, let's start with the JFK assassination. Now, at okay. that time, your father was with the CIA, had been involved in certain anti-Castro activities, including the, the, the Bay of Pigs invasion. What did he say in that confession regarding uh, his role in the JFK assassination, many are familiar, of course, with you know the the false identification of the three tramps. Some thought that your father was one of the tramps. Frank Sturgis was one of the tramps. These were the uh, itinerants that were were discovered in the uh, the box car adjacent to the grassy knoll, but uh, that later turned out to be false. But what was your father's role in the assassination? Well, my father's role was, <clears throat> excuse me, as an overseer. He 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 used the term bench warmer. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a flexible term, and uh, and I feel very strongly that uh, rather than uh, someone who's not engaged but yet sitting on the sidelines with a view to the field, uh, he was very much engaged. Um, and uh, you know the saddest thing about about his deathbed confession is that he was never able to conclude it with me. Number one, due to the fact that we I lived in California and he lived in Miami. And uh, there was uh, strong forces at work to keep us separate and to prevent these uh, father and son discussions from going on. But aside from that, what he revealed is very interesting, and uh, it fits right in with the general movement of conspiracy theorists these days to link Johnson, President <clears throat> Lyndon Johnson, as the chief the head of the assassination movement. Now, this has to be taken with the understanding that 
someone like Johnson is not going to be involved in the staging or planning. He's not going to be involved in picking the, the members of a team. He's going to be involved in actually very, very little. But his most important role, as we've seen in books such as Roger Stone's uh, The Man Who Killed Kennedy and, and even before that, Barr McClellan's uh, fantastic book, what we have to realize is that all, John, all was, that was asked of Johnson was a green light. And, of course, Johnson, according to my father, would have stopped at nothing to gain a seat as the president of the United States. In fact, within a week after Dallas, if Kennedy had lived, JFK and his brother Bobby, who was attorney general, had already in the works a plan not only to remove Johnson from the vice presidential uh, ticket, but in fact to continue their investigation in the various Johnson scandals, uh, some of which were uh, related to the uh, cotton uh, depletion allowance in Texas, the oil depletion allowance, the way that Johnson falsely became a congressman back in the 40s uh, through the stuffing of uh, ballot boxes. Uh, they had their witnesses lined up, they had their, their persons, and they were going to proceed to not only investigate Johnson, but to prosecute him. Your father attended a number of meetings in a safe house in Florida prior to November 63, and there was in attendance, I believe there was a sort of a high-ranking member of the Cuban, uh, Florida Cuban uh, uh, community, a Cuban exile, uh, and he heard sort of, well, what, what exactly was he told during that meeting? Well, in, in the summer of 1963, my father was asked uh, by uh, Frank Sturgis, uh, to meet with David Morales and and attend a meeting, it actually turned into two meetings, at uh, safe houses in and around Miami. And when my father showed up, uh, Frank Sturgis was there, Morales was there, Vesiana was there, and my father, of course, was there. He he then listened to these, this, uh, this scenario that they were asking his support in to uh, assassinate a, uh, a top-level executive in the United States. And uh, when my father asked, well, who is it that we're, that we're talking about here? And they said, uh, it's that son of a bitch, President Kennedy. Then everything was out on the table. And um, in the series of these meetings in safe houses, it was uh, rela- relayed to him that this came all the way through the, to the top, through the men at the meeting, William Harvey, who was uh, an equal of my father's in the CIA. Uh, and above him would have been uh, David Atlee Phillips, Cord Meyer, and then Lyndon Baines Johnson, and you know it was it was very frustrating at the time to um, to to have this dynamite realization coming from my father, and and then not be able to have all the time I needed to follow up on it. But, I can imagine. Uh, Listen, little uh, by little, the you know it came out that uh, another thing my father told me was that this was not the only group that was forming to assassinate Kennedy. That there were several teams being assembled. Now we want to do. We want to get to to, uh, to Dorothy, but I wish we had you know five six hours here. We could talk about JFK for that amount of time. But just very quickly before we move on to Watergate, your father speculated on who the shooter uh, may have been, and this was a um, was a French assassin, I believe, hired by the mob. Correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, he uh, he uh, he gave me some handwritten notes that that he had been uh, working on, outlining things like the chain of command. And and the uh, the people that he that he knew to be involved in this particular team. And on this piece of paper, he wrote French con dot man grassy knoll. And the name he scribbled was something uh, looking like a sartre or sarté. And of course, this turns out to be uh, Lucien Sarté, who was uh, brought into the assassination by William Harvey, 
when Harvey was uh, <laughs> disgraced by uh, Bobby Kennedy and sent to be a deputy station chief of the Rome CIA office. He traveled, he met uh, various mafiosi there in Rome and then traveled to Marseille uh, to recruit uh, assassins for his executive action deep cover program, uh, which, which used strictly non-American mafiosi as assassins. And, of course, uh, Lucien Sarté had a reputation at the time as being one of the Corsican Underground's top assassination operatives. And uh, and that's who brought Sarté into the team. Your father, I mean, th- there was no love lost with with, uh, with your dad with Kennedy either, though, was there? I mean, your dad was... No, not at all. He he, he hated Kennedy, and uh, he went to... My father died feeling proud of, of, uh, of the fact that uh, people he knew, people he was involved with, an operation that he was involved with, took Kennedy out. How does that make you feel? Uh, that makes me feel, it, it's really strange, this, this whole thing, you know, about my parents and, like, all the stuff they were into is just so, I just, um, I mean, I, obviously I accept it, I, I have no real choice in the matter, but uh, it's just, I mean, no one wants to be the son of, of a person that was, you know, involved in the assassination of JFK. I, I don't wear, like, a badge, I, I, I don't, I'm not shamed by it, but um, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's a mixed bag of feelings. It's probably too too intense to even go into. I try not to even. No, I can appreciate that. Listen, who who wants <laughs> to think of their parents in in that in that light? That must be an incredible difficult thing for you. Watergate. Something has always puzzled me. Here we have this special division, and, and Nixon, you know, the the plumbers. Right. These are, you know, these your dad and, and Sturgis. These were pretty elite guys, right? I mean, and yet it almost seemed like this, almost like they that was intended for them to get caught. That there was something else going on with Watergate. Was it a, a new type of assassination to bring down Nixon by other means? Was there something else we don't understand about what, this wasn't just a simple attempt, you know, to, to get into the DNC and, and, you know, steal some documents and, and do some wiretapping, was it? No, no, uh, of course it wasn't. And, and, and I, I wish I could, I could tell the, uh, all the secrets about Watergate, but Watergate was, was just one operation of a, of a vast plan uh, under the uh, name of Gemstone. And uh, this was a, an over-million-dollar budget approved by the Attorney General John Mitchell, and we, we uh, of course, assume Richard Nixon. Uh, you know, John Mitchell's not going to approve anything that, that Richard Nixon doesn't know of. And as a matter of fact, Nixon and my father had known each other since 1957 when Richard Nixon was on a Latin American, South American goodwill tour, uh, my father got a chance to to uh, meet uh, President Eisenhower as well as his vice president, Richard Nixon. And this is the important link between the Bay of Pigs and the Kennedy assassination and Watergate. And that link is what my father was holding on President Nixon to blackmail him or to pressure him into continuing to pay hush money to my father, who, and my mother, actually, to her personally, who then would distribute it throughout uh, the the Cubans, uh, James McCord and his family, Gordon Liddy and his family, and and, and our own family. And um, so she she was uh, she was in, up to her neck in intelligence operations. Anyway, she'd been uh, CIA uh, OSS trained uh, a long time ago in 1945, stationed in Bern, Switzerland worked for Alan Dulles in, in Switzerland, uh, moved on to Shanghai. She um, tracked and uh, secured uh, vast assets of the Nazis throughout uh, many countries in Europe in the late 40s. 
So she was uh, accustomed to intelligence work, but in this last period of her life, she served as the the, the bag lady, they called her, uh, picking up, um, you know, uh, she, she'd uh, be at a phone booth, a call would come in at 11 p.m., uh, directing her to a specific location, say the Greyhound Terminal in D.C. She'd go there, and uh, at the appropriate uh, phone booth, there'd be a key taped underneath that, which would correspond to a box, and uh, in the box would be uh, a satchel full of cash. And then she would go about uh, dividing it and spreading it out uh, to the Cubans and all the Watergate defendants. Um, But uh, what my father had on Nixon was the fact that he had been, as vice president, the green light to the illegal uh, formation of an assassination group called Operation 40 that, uh, that was directed to uh, assassinate um, foreign leaders, dignitaries, diplomats, um, you know, people that, uh, that the CIA deemed uh, unfriendly to the United States cause. Like Allende and, in uh, Chile. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's a perfect example. And, uh, of course, Kennedy and his brother Bobby inherited this this uh, this team. And, uh, you know, it was run partially by my father. It was run by William Harvey. And uh, some of the members of the team uh, are the same people that turned up in the Watergate. As Frank Sturgis, Bernard Barker, uh, uh, you know, uh, Felix Rodriguez was involved. There's a list of uh, 40 to 70 operative, Cuban operatives of Operation 40, which were trained as assassins uh, for the CIA. How, um, how involved was your father in the overthrow of uh, Arbenez in, in Guatemala? Oh, he was he was the man. He was the primary guy that ran that whole operation. And that's where he really made his bones with the CIA, and they uh, uh, he, that was a um, that was a, a marvelously engineered coup. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at it from their point of view, but it was uh, it was just uh, uh, smooth as ice. Uh, you know, they they ran this guy down uh, with uh, false tape recordings of. Um, of, of, of bombers flying overhead and machine gun fire and bombs blowing up and stuff. It was all done on tape. None of it was real. Oh, my. And they, they uh, had so frightened uh, the uh, president of, of uh, Guatemala that uh, that he stepped down and was later, of course, rounded up by CIA people and uh, and, and murdered, as far as I know. Well, this, uh, this, so this, this direct this... Uh, murder of another 14,000. This, this CIA, were, uh, sorry, this CIA hit team then that that Nixon uh, sort of orchestrated. Uh, this was this was the the um, what they had on your dad and your mother had this information on Nixon, right? Uh, and, and Nixon feared that this the same team that was sent against Castro and uh, Lumumba in the Congo and Allende in Chile and all these different places. The same team, or members of the same team, turned their guns to kill Kennedy. Now that doesn't make Nixon, you know, a, a murderer uh, himself, but Nixon felt that uh, that if this were to come out, that it would literally be not only the end of his political career, but he very well could be brought against, you know, in charges and impeached. Well, it is interesting, Nixon. You know, the only person on the planet—I mean, the only person on the planet—who who always claimed he couldn't remember where he was, November twenty-second, nineteen sixty-three. Was he in that meeting with Clint Murchis at Clint Murchison's place with LBJ, as Madeleine Duncan Brown always asserted, uh, who was the mistress of LBJ? Was Nixon there? Yes. 
I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I think I think a lot of people kept Nixon out of the loop because they just didn't take him seriously. Oh, interesting. In 1963, Nixon was, you know, I mean, despite his position in the White House, um, you know, I just don't think he was taken very seriously. And certainly Nixon, because of his religious, uh, was he a Mormon or something like that, his upbringing? I believe his background he, uh, uh, was a Quaker. Quaker, that's right. Well, th- those guys are, are, are seriously, you know... Uh, you know, devout to pretty straight laced. Pretty straight laced. I think yeah. Nixon always always relied on people around him, such as um, you know the mafia and such as his top 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 lieutenants or his top counselors, Charles Colson and Haldeman and Ehrlichman, to take care of things that Nixon wanted taken care of by just a little nod, a little prod, a little a little mention of something here and there. You know, and if you listen to the uh, to the Nixon tapes, the transcripts, uh, you can see that the, the person, the, the thing that Nixon feared most during this first part of Watergate, when everything was kind of breaking breaking loose, was my father. I mean, he just kept going on and on about, we have to pay Hunt, we have to keep Hunt quiet, Hunt knows too much, you open up that scab, there's going to be a lot of pus that comes out, it's going to make a lot of people unhappy, Hunt has to be paid, Nixon's going on ranting, how much, I wonder, we could get a million dollars. I can get a million dollars. I know where to get a million dollars right now. We have to pay Hunt. Keep him quiet. Nobody around Nixon knew what he was talking about, knew why uh, E. Howard Hunt was so so much of a threat to Nixon. Well, that's the reason why. Uh, and beside the reason that my father and mother had been threatening the White House directly to continue uh, you know, payments uh, by saying that they had evidence that uh, would ensnare all the White House top echelon. Mitchell, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Nixon, Colson, uh, into not only the Watergate activity, but many, many other illegal uh, activities that they had done on behalf of President Nixon. But during this era, during the Nixon or the, the, the Watergate era, your, your father was sort of an advisor to Nixon. Was this a case of keep your enemies close? Is that what uh, Nixon? My father was an advisor to whom? Well, wasn't he uh, sort of an, an advisor to Nixon during this, this, this period? No, I wouldn't call him an advisor. I would say that Nixon picked my father, which he did personally, to head up the uh, special uh, brand-new White House uh, Internal Investigations Unit, uh, dubbed the Plumbers. Right. And this is because Nixon had asked the FBI for help, and he'd asked the CIA for help, and they both had refused his requests to... Uh, do things like uh, wiretap, uh, uh, you know, leftist uh, politicians or movie actors, uh, uh, you know, that that kind of thing. And they just they just didn't want to help Nixon at all. So Nixon said, "The hell with it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have my own my own investigation team." And so they, Nixon uh, chose my father because he, you know, he had met him in '57 and he knew my father's reputation as someone uh, that could be very discreet, but also someone that could handle the, the dirtiest of operations, the, the wet the wet operations, the assassinations and things like that. Did your father ever speak to you about uh, Hillary Clinton, who I believe was counsel to George Herbert Walker Bush during the Watergate hearings? No, he never spoke about Hillary Clinton, but I, I have found out that uh, she was on the... Uh, uh, she was uh, active during the Watergate hearings, and uh, as a matter of fact, she was caught in a... In a uh, and a horrible lie that she had, uh, uh, you know, put out there about uh, there being no no precedent for uh, Nixon's uh, refusal to uh, to uh, you know to give up his tapes and, and, and such. Uh, 
uh, she had uh, commandeered some files and hidden them, and then she'd lied about it. So, so well, Hillary it Clinton been, goes back as far as Watergate as being a, a compulsive liar. <laughs> it, has, it has been suggested by some assassination researchers that uh, Hillary used her position and had access to uh, files pertaining to the JFK assassination that she was ordered to go in and expunge George Herbert Walker's name uh, from a lot of uh, documents pertaining to the JFK assassination. Do you know? Have you heard anything about that? Well, I haven't heard of that in, in particular, but I do know for a fact that the money that the Cuban crew had in their pockets at the time of their arrest inside the DNC at the Watergate uh, complex could be directly linked in a paper trail to George Herbert Walker Bush. All right. On that note, we'll uh, take a time out. Come back with St. John Hunt, son of the late E. Howard Hunt. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Colleen Forgus is the manager of our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary, and she's here once again. Hey, Colleen, how are you? Hi, Richard. I'm great today. How about you? Wonderful. Thank you. Now, you had a great idea. You want to put together a selection of items and products from the Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary, put them all together into a first aid kit, a suggestion for people to build their own first aid kit. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think it's important that we have some of the products on hand when we need them because when you run into a situation where you're not feeling well, you don't want to start looking on the website for the products then. You want to have a kit at home that's always available to you. So I will list this on the website and we'll, I'll also put an article for your newsletter. But this is going to address things like diarrhea, constipation, a cold, 
maybe an upset stomach with some activated charcoal, some at-home natural antibiotics that can be used. So we'll put everything together. We'll list it on the website. And I highly recommend that, you know, our friends that are all the listeners get this, keep it at home and have it available so that when the time arises, they've got the products to take care of whatever issues might be coming up in their family. So people can look for that at the strangeplanet.ca website. And also you'll include the details in an article which will be featured in my uh, free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. People can subscribe to that also at strangeplanet.ca. In the meantime, go to strangeplanet.ca, click on the full script dispensary button and look at all the amazing products there. You receive 10% off on all products if you're a subscriber and of course free delivery on all orders over $50. Thanks again Colleen. Thank you Richard. Be well. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern please consult your healthcare provider. In another reality Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was good, good, a handsome man, Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Let's shift gears and talk about your mother, Dorothy. Died in a, uh, a plane crash, 1972. Give us the particulars. That was a flight out of uh, O'Hare Airport, was it not, or Chicago? It was coming into uh, O'Hare Airport, and then it was redirected at the last minute to Midway, which was a much older airport without the modern radar uh, facilities and other modern technology that uh, O'Hare had going for them. How many aboard um, the plane? I think aboard the plane were 70 people, I believe. Now, the particulars, where was your, give us the chronology here. Where was your mother going? What did she have well, on her person and so this forth? This was at the height of the of the war. I call it the war between my parents and Richard Nixon. And this war was basically that the promises that Nixon had made to my father to provide large amounts of cash and also the probability of clemency. That was another promise that Nixon dangled to my father. So they had been uh, directly threatening the White House. They had evidence to blow the White House out of the water, including uh, and especially President Nixon and his top-level advisors, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, and John Mitchell, and Charles Colson. Uh, my mother had already for some time been serving as a bag woman to pick up cash and transfer cash to the different Watergate dependents. She had told me uh, that, um, that she felt uh, that this was a losing situation, but that she didn't know what else to do. Um, that she was being followed, that uh, she feared for her life. And um, so on this flight to Chicago, she had with her the canceled checks through the Mexican bank, which linked the, the, uh, the, the money uh, to fund Watergate and the other operations directly to uh, the community to reelect the president, and then beyond that to George H.W. Bush, um, who was a major... Uh, supplier of uh, funds to uh, Nixon's community to re-elect the president. Um, she had also the, uh, the the memos and the cables that my father had had, uh, had kept and copied over the years, linking Nixon with the uh, Operation 40 group that uh, that were uh, uh, that were uh, sent to assassinate the foreign leaders. And Nixon felt that uh, these same gunmen had been turned on President Kennedy, and he was completely just freaked out 
that, it, that if this came out, that, uh, that you know, it was going to be the end of his career. And my mother knew she was being followed. So it, it, people in the White House, it was evident that, that, that they knew that Dorothy was going on that plane. Now, what, what struck me initially about this, uh, the crash of this, uh, this United Airlines was that it was less than 24 hours later, after the crash, Nixon, just out of the blue, appoints one of his most loyal uh, henchmen, Eagle Bud Crow, K-R-O-G-H, to the position of Undersecretary of Transportation the very next day, not even 24 hours. Uh, Eagle Crow then is in the position to oversee the Department of Transportation, which oversees the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, which is the sole investigating body for airline crashes. So Crow now is in the position not only to guide the investigation that the NTSB is doing on that crash, but also to include or exclude pertinent information about the crash and keep Nixon informed as to the particulars of the investigation. That That's number one red flag that went up. Uh, number two was the fact that... Uh, uh, in all of history, the first time there was 50 FBI agents on the ground at the crash site within 40 minutes of the crash. Now, first of all, the FBI has no jurisdiction whatsoever on domestic airline crashes, none. Uh, the fact that they could have 50 FBI agents on the ground within less than an hour mm. at, the, at the crash site is completely without precedent. And in a letter which I have from John Reed, who was the chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board, to FBI Director William Ruckelshaus, Mr. Reed is asking for clarification about certain uh, certain activities that the FBI seemed to, to be involved in at the time of the crash. He wanted to know uh, why they were there, what jurisdiction they were calling on to, to verify, to justify their being there. And wh- and why they went to the Midway Tower and uh, and, and and took the uh, took the, took the recordings from the tower. They found something like ten thousand dollars in her luggage. Your belief is that this was campaign funds used to pay off families of the Watergate uh, burglars, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the uh, the ten thousand was meant uh, to pay uh, off uh, a gentleman who lived in Chicago named Michael Stevens. He uh, was the owner of a company uh named called uh, Stevens Research Labs and uh, he um he hand built uh, some of the bugging equipment wiretapping equipment for the Watergate burglars uh at the behest of James McCord because the uh the the equipment that they had been using uh, Gordon Liddy uh, was heard to call it Mickey Mouse stuff it just it just wasn't working right so uh, McCourt said he knew uh, of uh, someone in Chicago that uh, could build uh, really, really high-quality uh, eavesdropping and, and bugging surveillance equipment. Uh, and so this is where Michael Stevens comes in. My mother was on uh, with the $10,000 was uh, meant for him. And Stevens claimed that the, uh, not only was 10000 for him, but he had called the FBI and told the FBI that uh, he had been receiving threatening phone calls and that uh, that the phone calls uh, mentioned that uh, that the uh, mur- that the death of Dorothy Hunt was a homicide, and that if he didn't keep his mouth shut, he was going to be a victim of the same 
uh, efforts that uh, Dorothy Hunt had to, to come to. But 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 um, St. John to take so, out seventy five people to get to your mother. Uh, I mean, in this cloak and dagger world, I think we understand that sometimes you know uh, a wet team comes in, they take out another uh, agent in order to keep them quiet or to cover their tracks. But to kill seventy people who had nothing to do with it, along with your mother, uh, and some people might sit here and listen to this and say that's just you know that's beyond the pale. I, I mean, I know. How, how common... Uh, you know, people have to understand that that is a classic CIA uh, operational move, move uh, to, uh, to diffuse the tension from a primary assassination target. In other words, if they would have just shot my mother uh, to keep my father quiet, if they would have shot her on a street corner or uh, kidnapped her and murdered her while she was picking up, you know, money late at night at the Greyhound station, for example... Uh, that's just, you know, then, then where does the investigation, uh, you know, uh, focus on? It focuses on Dorothy Hunt. But you take out, uh, uh, you know, a building full of people or a plane full of people or a neighborhood or what have you, uh, the attention then, the focus of the attention is so diffused that, um, that it's much, much more difficult to, uh, uh, you know, to, um, you know, to ascertain that uh, there was only one or two people that uh, that were the primary targets. Everybody else is just collateral damage. Mm. That's what you have to understand about the CIA, is that not only is that a classic example of, of, of one of their assassination, uh, you know, uh, modus operandi, but you have to realize that they don't care about the collateral damage. They just they just don't care. I mean, you know, it's this threat to, uh, to expose... Uh, the CIA and, and, and Richard Nixon, uh, to keep my father quiet, um, can't take him out. He's too much in the press. And later in life, many, many years later, when I was with my father at his, at his bedside, you know, holding his hand, you know, he, he choked up on, on so many things. And one of them was that, you know, in truth, he had always felt that his wife, Dorothy, my mother, her death was, was not a result of pilot error. But was as a result of of, uh, of a homicide. And he and also thought it, about he also thought about it could have happened to you or your brother. Yeah, right. He uh, you know he said, and the next step after she was killed was to the children, to his children, to us, to four to four of his original kids. And he was in prison; he couldn't protect us. And uh, and a week after she was killed, uh, he shut his mouth and pled guilty, and never said another word about any of that stuff. No, none, none of this Charles, ended up Charles in the memoir, Bolton, did it? In 1974, was um, it was quoted in Time magazine as saying that uh, Dorothy Hunt was killed by the CIA, and uh, I had a chance to speak with Mr. Colson um, uh, at the time of my father's death, uh, and I asked him about that quote that Time had on him in this article, and uh, he he had a, there was a long pause, and he said, "St. John, I I stand by what I said." Uh, I know that what I said was true, but for your safety and my safety as well, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. But just know that that I stand by what I said back in '74, and that you know that that brought hair standing up on my you know on my neck and stuff. You were a teenager um, during Watergate. What, 16, 17? 17. Yeah. 17. All right. Uh, how much did you know at that time? I mean, I, I, I've read one account where you were actually involved in in, in the cover up. Well, yeah, I was. It was it was interesting because uh, June seventeenth, nineteen seventy two, 
the the Watergate burglars had been uh, discovered and arrested, and my father, uh, after making a few different stops in and around D.C., he came back home. He woke me up. I was the only other one in the house. The rest of the family and my mother were in Europe, and um, and my father was just looking, you know, very disheveled, uh, sweaty, um, very uh, concerned, and, uh, and he said, um, meet me upstairs in my bedroom and don't ask any questions. So he stomped out of the room and went upstairs, and quickly I followed him. And up in the room there, he had two large green suitcases. He said, uh, I need you to go in the kitchen. I need you to get some, uh, some, some spray, some cleaner, and some rubber gloves, and I need you to take everything out of these suitcases and, and clean, them, clean them down. I don't want, we're looking at fingerprints here. I don't want anything uh, to be left. You have to clean everything in the suitcases and the suitcases themselves. And for the next hour and a half, two hours, that's what I did right in his bedroom. And she was making calls and changing, took a quick shower, made some calls. Uh, uh, and um, and then uh, as dawn broke, we uh, we threw the uh, two suitcases in the back of his uh, 1970 green uh, Firebird. And uh, we drove out to the Potomac Canals and we threw them into the uh, raging waters. On, on, a, and, on a personal note, uh, St. John, I mean, what was... While all this is going on, I mean, your your parents are spies. Uh, was there any normalcy? I mean, was it like your father came home from overthrowing a dictator in South America and it was like, honey, what's for dinner? I mean, was there any normalcy <laughs> in that house? Well, it all seemed normal to me, Richard, you know, because that's, that's what I grew up in. But he was rarely home. And when he was, there was a strict rule of, you know, don't speak until you're spoken to and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but... Uh, um, were they loving? You know, as, were they loving as, parents? Were they loving? Yes. My mother was very loving, very very loving. My father was just unapproachable. You know, and he was cruel in many ways, very cruel uh, to his children. But what, I mean, we, um, we we we. I, I want to be careful that we we don't paint. You know, the CIA. I mean, they did they did some good work, right? There are some heroes with the CIA and the FBI. We tend to think of them as all sort of these thugs. But I mean, did your parents do anything? They Surely part of what they were doing, they felt, was in the national interest. Well, they did. I mean, my father certainly did. Um, you know, the, the whole the whole thing at that time, in that age, was the domino principle. You know, if, you, you, we, if we let one country in Latin America or wherever uh, succumb to communist influence, then it's only a matter of time before all the other countries are going to fall. And uh, my father and the people in, in his organization... Uh, you know, believe that the end justifies the means. But, you know, in, in truth, it all really revolved around greed. Because uh, when I spoke to my father about his involvement in the overthrow of the, of, the, uh, of, of Guatemala, I said, well, Papa, isn't it true that, uh, that really the real reason that CIA went in there and overthrew that government uh, was because uh, the, uh, the president was going to nationalize some of the land and give something back to the peasants who were basically working for this American corporation, uh, United Fruit Company, uh, as, as slaves, basically slave labor. They, they had nothing to show for their years of toil. They, the United Fruit Company owned two million acres of banana plantations. And when it was found that the president was going to nationalize some of it back to the peasants uh, to give them a little bit of better life quality, uh, Alan Dulles and his brother John Foster Dulles, who's the, the uh, Department of State and was also on the board of United Fruit Company, uh, said, no, this is not going to happen. 
And that's been the primary reason and motivation for every CIA operation to invade, secretly invade uh, a country, Iran, uh, you know, you name it, um, and depose the ruler and put in our our puppet ruler. And our our rulers we put in turn out to be the most you know, brutal regime that, that that people have ever heard of, like the Guatemalan. We put in put in uh, put in that guy, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, he's rounding up fourteen thousand citizens that maybe had leftist leaning, uh, you know, uh, ideals and stuff. And uh, and I said, well, Papa, what about the, the fourteen plus thousand people that were murdered uh, by the CIA after that? And he's like, well, that's just part of uh, what happens that's just you know collateral damage okay not a second thought to it just, oh dear yeah you know I, I wish we had more time st john maybe uh, you'll come on the program again i mean i would love to talk about there's so much i'd love to, to be come. on your program again it's, it's been great love to talk about the cia involvement in mockingbird and and uh, whether some of these uh, team 40 and so forth whether these are still operational and really has anything changed in the in the 40 years since nixon i think not perhaps. very little i think it's only gotten worse I fear that you are correct. Again, the website, stjohnhunt.net, the book Dorothy, The Murder of E. Howard Hunt's Wife, Watergate's Darkest Secret. A pleasure meeting you, St. John. Thank you for this. A pleasure meeting you, too. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.